Well, thanks for being here again at Grace. We're, we're glad you're with us. There's a lot going on at Grace that I want to make you aware of. I don't know if you can keep up with everything that's happening at Grace, but when you're here during the week, just all kinds of stuff are happening. Zach mentioned uh, there's an 1825 trip that's whitewater rafting this weekend. Uh, I was here yesterday, and there were 24 guys, I think, playing basketball, which is kind of an outreach for us young men. And so that was great. We've also, this week, we had a bunch of guys out at Ace's house. Uh, He was getting our chicken cookers ready. You know what that means, right? But nobody's excited about that. But yeah, that's Celebrate Grace. Uh, That takes a place, uh, instead of our fall feed, same thing. And we're excited about that happening. So that's uh, coming down the pike. We just, we have a lot of things going on. Our campus in Paulding, Ohio, and also a lot of you, probably none of you know this yet, but uh, we're partnering with a church called Compass Church uh, that's led by um, Chaplain Ken Lewis, who's from Grace, and he's leading that. We're kind of partnering with them a little bit. They're following some of our series, and we're just having a great time doing that. We just want you guys all to pray about how God's using us to impact our world uh, it's very important, everything that we're doing, and, and we want God to help us to be effective in doing those things. So, And if you're at Grace, and if you're serving, especially if you're giving or serving, one of those two things, or both, you're helping us impact the world, and I just want to say thank you. And then we have some important stuff coming up at the end of this month, right? I mean, we have in two weeks, it's Celebrate Grace, and then after that, on Wednesday night, it's what? The fair. All right, we're going to be out at the fair, and we want to show our colors. I know Zach threw some of these out. Uh, Who wants a shirt? Who didn't get one? All right. Yeah. Uh, This way. Ah, okay. Over here. See, I want to know, am I throwing these further than Zach or not? All right. That's what I want to know. So, uh, okay. All right. We're trying. But uh, he may have a better arm than I do, but that's that's all right. So, we're going to... It's Celebrate Grace on the 23rd, Wednesday the 26th. We're out at the fair. It's all music. We're going to kind of invite people to our church, but it's no preaching. It's just kind of a celebratory time. We're going to invite them the next Sunday to our church, which is the 30th. And then on that day, we're starting a new series that we're hope, hope people connect into. And as a matter of fact, here's a, a promo video for that series that will happen on the 30th. Blockbuster astronomical event overnight that just lit up Twitter and Instagram. The Blood Moon. When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's more. The upcoming phenomena dubbed the Blood Moon signals a supernatural connection to biblical prophecy. So many people really excited about this, tweeting about it, and it is one of the most top-trending topics nationwide. The rare tetrad of four alignments has only happened a handful of times in the last 2,000 years. The coming four blood moons points to a world-shaking event that will happen between April 2014 and October 2015. Okay, 
Okay, I got to tell you, I love this, uh, this video promotion. Do you like it? Yeah. All right, yeah. Okay, well, it's a little creepy at the end, but I like it. You know, it's, it's good stuff. So we're there on the 26th. Uh, hopefully, we're wearing our T-shirts. By the way, we're a little shy about selling things at Grace. We don't want to do a lot of that. But those T-shirts are available after the service, $7 in that room right there. We call it our conference room. It's the room at the end of that hallway. And uh, we would love for as many people as possible to come that night. And also, if you have T-shirts, wear them. Uh, we're just trying to, as Zach was saying, show presence in our community, invite everybody to a free concert, and then we'll try to get them here on Sunday morning. So that's, that's the plan. Well, we're in a series called What's the Difference? And uh, we're talking about what's the difference between religions. Choosing a religion is not like buying a used car where you go to the marketplace and just pick out the one that fits you best. Choosing a religion should be based totally on objective truth. And that's what we're saying is the greatest strength of Christianity is that it's true. So we've been talking about different religions and today we're talking about Islam. What's the difference? And what we're going to find is Islam has a different foundation, a different theology, and a different gospel. And uh, we're going to start with a different foundation. As you probably know, Islam was founded by Muhammad. Muhammad lived, I think he was born in 570 AD, and he started getting revelations about 600 AD, he says. And so 600 years after Christ... A man named Muhammad who lived in Arabia, Medina, He's, he was kind of in the habit as a polytheistic area, although there were some Christians and some Jewish people in Arabia because the gospel had gone there and people had converted. But uh, Muhammad was not Christian or Jewish, and he was going into caves and kind of praying and meditating once in a while, and he started having revelations. When he was 40... A, a, a wealthy widow sort of noticed him and she proposed marriage and they got married. He had never told anybody about these revelations and he was, he was kind of a little concerned about them. He actually talked to her and, and told her that he didn't know at first if they were from a, an angel or a demon. And she encouraged him to start recording his revelations. So they did that through a cousin, started recording revelations and and, uh, and that's kind of what kicked off the whole Koran. That was the beginning of the Koran. Uh, Mecca, which was a religious center in Arabia, was known, it was very polytheistic. And as a matter of fact, Mecca was a center where they had like 300 gods represented. And a lot of the, the tribal chiefs, the Arabic tribal chiefs, would come to Mecca and they would worship. And because of that, Mecca grew as an economic and trading center, but also kind of as a religious center. Muhammad was from Medina, and as he recorded all these, uh, what he says were, were revelations from Gabriel, finally he decided to start preaching. What Muhammad did at the time is he, he earned his living as a, a raider, or you know he married a wealthy widow, but he, he would also raid caravans with some of his followers. And because of that, they started amassing wealth. You have to understand, Arabia, there's not a lot of land where you can have agriculture just around oases and around rivers. 
And so the cities are kind of far between. So there's a lot of trade routes and a lot of traveling involved with that. Well, he would just raid those trade routes. And then as he started accumulating influence, he started then taking over cities, uh, including Medina and other cities. And then eventually his goal was to take over Mecca. Again, also at this time, he's increasingly preaching a message of Islam. He, he has 11 to 13 wives. He counts very a little bit. He changes his habits from praying toward Jerusalem because he's, he's had some contact with Judaism and Christianity that in, uh, I think it was 6, 630 or 626, I'm not sure, let me check that out, 624, he stopped praying toward Jerusalem, started praying toward uh, Mecca. As he, uh, his army increased, finally he decided he was going to invade Mecca and take it over. And he had an army of 10,000 people. When he shows up at Mecca, they realize they're not going to hold out for long, and so they just surrender to him. And then they were forced, that was part of the deal, that they would become Muslim. Because all these cities that Muhammad would take over as a leader, as a military leader, as, that he would conquer, he would give them the choice to either convert away from their polytheism to his belief in Allah and he being the greatest prophet of Allah, or they could be killed. So is convert by making this statement and doing what I tell you to do, or die. And a lot of people like Mecca converted. Although later he started also allowing kind of a third option, and that was if they weren't, uh, if they were useful somehow, they could admit that their religion was inferior to Muslims, and then they could uh, live as a second-class citizen and then pay a tax, a tribute uh, to the Muslim leaders, and then they could live as long as they realized that they were in subjection to Islamic rule. So that's a little bit about Muhammad. He actually uh, conquered Mecca in 630, and, uh, and then he died in 632 in his hometown, Medina, in the arms of his wife. When he died, there was a division. And about 10% of the Muslims followed a relative of Muhammad's, and there, that's where the Shiite Muslims come from. And about 90% of the Muslims followed the, the general, that, the main general that was under Muhammad, a military leader, and that's where you get Sunni Muslims. And so this is how it all broke out. That's the foundation. And Muhammad taught that he was a prophet of God and that he was the last and the greatest prophet of God. He also taught that uh, Jesus was a prophet, but that Jesus was not the son of God. Although Jesus was born of a virgin, he would say. But then he also believed that, that Jesus was not killed by crucifixion. They believe Muhammad taught that Jesus was arrested. It was kind of a problem for Islam because they believe in this power and conquering. And here you have a prophet being arrested and, and crucified. So what they said was, well, he was arrested for blasphemy, but... When it came time for the crucifixion, a law actually got Judas and disguised Judas to look like Jesus miraculously. And then they ended up crucifying G Judas instead of Jesus and that there was no resurrection. So that's how they kind of solve all that together in, in his beliefs. That's the foundation 
of Islam. The problem is, even followers of Islam have recognized this, and I even heard of uh, one Muslim I know converted because of this, and I think others have too, is they realize, well, now hold it. If Jesus was arrested for blasphemy, because they do believe he was arrested, how can he be one of the greatest prophets? Because blasphemy would be wrong. And people define blasphemy different ways, but in the New Testament, when they're talking about Jesus, we have a great example in John 13. This was not at this trial, but another time in Jesus' life. John 10, says, The Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you. Jesus is asking, Why are you persecuting me? But for blasphemy, and because you, and then that's kind of described, and because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. That's blasphemy. That's the blasphemy that Jesus was killed for, saying that he was equal to God. Well, Muslims realize, hold it, how can Jesus be a great prophet but say he was equal to God, which is blasphemy? And so they realize that there's a disconnect here. And so that either Jesus wasn't a great prophet or Jesus was more than a great prophet, but he couldn't be a great prophet who blasphemed. And so because of that, some have become believers, and they're exactly right. That's the problem. They've realized that Muhammad and the Quran, either way you go with that, they're wrong. Muhammad's wrong and the Quran's wrong. So that's caused some, some people to, to change their faith. Not only does Islam have a different foundation, but they have a vastly different theology. I think you could just look around the world and sense that if you didn't know anything else. And that's what drives me crazy when I hear uh, through the media people saying that, well, basically religions are all the same. Anybody ever hear that? Basically religions are all the same. Basically they teach the same. When a person says that, that means they are ignorant about world religions because they are not the same. They're mutually exclusive. They teach different stuff. And only one or none can be true, not two of them. And so when people are making that statement, they don't know what they're talking about. But that's kind of the way the media does with religion. But by the way, speaking of the news, how many of you have heard the news about the lion that was killed by a dentist in the United States, Cecil the lion? Put, put your hands up if you heard that. Yeah, so it's all over the news. Now there's all these other stories. How many of you have heard the news a couple days ago that ISIS fighters took 200 people captive that were hiding in a church in Syria and that everybody knows they're going to be, the women will be raped, women and children. They will be sold as sex slaves after they're raped and that many of them will be beheaded. How many have heard that in the news the last couple days? That's the world that we're living in. Yeah, I looked up the Cecil Lion story. It's talking about Cecil's brother, the lion, Jacob or somebody, you know, and how he's doing. And then one of Cecil's cubs who was killed by a rival lion. You know, and we're following all this. You know, this guy, we're talking about extraditing him. You know, you believe whatever you want about that. But we have Christians being beheaded, being sold into sexual slavery, being raped repeatedly every day. We have women talking about this, that they were raped repeatedly. 
And it's barely, it's not even news anymore. That's the world that we're living. By the way, if there is ever somewhere in the world a band of Christians who started beheading people, do you think that would show up on the news? Yeah. Why? Because we all know, whether we admit it or not, there's a whole different theology going on here. We, we need to understand that. We need to challenge people when they say that Islam is a religion of peace because it's not. And I'll get to that in just a moment. Christians know from Scripture and through Jesus that God has revealed himself. He's not only told us what's right and wrong and set a standard, but he revealed his heart. He's revealed himself to us. We can know him in a personal way. The different theology on Islam would be that Allah said, hey, God's telling you what's right and wrong. He's telling you what to do, but he has not revealed himself. We don't know him in a personal way. We don't know that much about him. He's a distant God who's basically told us what to do, and then we have to do right or we've got big problems. And so that's how there's a huge difference in the theology. The other thing interesting about Islam is that Muhammad very hard tried to link back Islam to Abraham. In his life, uh, Muhammad had some contact with Jewish people and with Christian people. He was actually taken in for a time by a Jewish tribe and uh, when he was being persecuted by polytheists. And they taught him the Old Testament. And when he learned about Abraham, he got very excited because he realized Abraham had another son, not just Isaac, but Abraham had a son named Ishmael. And Ishmael was kind of the father of a lot of the Arabic tribes. And so he saw a way where he could see that they were related through Ishmael back to Abraham, and that became a huge deal to Muhammad. And as he started revealing his revelations, then he started twisting the Old Testament. As he did that, of course, the Jewish people that he knew and the Christian people he knew didn't go with that because they were saying, no, you're twisting what the Old Testament is saying. He's changing the stories around, and then he starts persecuting them. If you'll remember how that all happened with Abraham... Abraham was called the, the world's downward spiral into a lot of sin. God calls Abraham, this man in, in kind of the Iraq area, and calls him to go to a new place, which is Canaan or what we know as Israel, that Abraham had never been before. And Abraham believed God, and so he acts on God's promise. He uproots his family. He starts heading to Canaan where he arrives eventually. Because of that, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, the Old and New Testament tells us. Once he's there, God promises Abraham, or it started Abram, his name was changed to Abraham, that he would be the father of many nations. The problem was Abraham's wife, Sarah, couldn't have children. And so they didn't have any kids. When Abraham was called, he was in his 70s, and now they're getting older, beyond childbearing years. Sarah recognizes this, and so, and she knows the promise of God. She can't figure out how this is going to happen. So she comes up with a plan. She has a handmaiden named Hagar. And so she tells Abraham, I want you to go into Hagar and produce a child. And so Abraham does that. And sure enough, Hagar becomes 
has a, has a child, and that child was named Ishmael. Now, this might surprise you, but this plan that Sarah came up with to have her husband sleep with this other lady, it, it, kind of in their family, that actually caused some problems. I, I know you're surprised about that. God comes along and talks to Abraham and says, Abraham, no, it's through Sarah that I will bless the world. See, Abraham was promised that through his lineage there would be many nations, but also that the world would be blessed with the Messiah that's to come. And God comes and says, no, it's through Sarah. And Abraham's like, how can this happen? Well, it happens. Sarah, miraculously, is beyond childbearing years, has a child, and they name him Isaac. This all happens when Ishmael's 13, 14 years old. Now, there's a conflict. Sarah decides that she doesn't want Hagar and Ishmael there anymore in their family, in their camp. And so she asks Abraham to kind of get rid of them, make them leave. Abraham's a little torn about this. Ishmael's his son. And so he's talking to God about it. And we see this actually in Genesis chapter 21. Here's what it says. But God said to Abraham... Do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. Kind of interesting because it was Sarah that came up with the original plan anyway. And now God said, hey, listen to Sarah. For through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. And of, the, and of the son of the maid, I'll make a nation also because he is your descendant. And so here's where we get God said, I'll make from you many nations. And yeah, through Ishmael will be nations, just like Isaac, the nation. But, he, but God's telling them it's through Isaac. And then later we find out not just through Isaac, but also through Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, not only through that line, but also through the line of David. It keeps just getting more and more specific that the Messiah is promised us and that he, through him, the entire world will be blessed. Now, the theology of Islam is based on six beliefs. Go through them very quickly. Belief in Allah, Allah's one. He's eternal, creator, sovereign. Just the name Allah, there's a little bit of confusion because that polytheistic Mecca, they believed in 300 gods. The strongest god was named Allah, a polytheistic false god. But also Allah is a name that's generic for God, for people typically who aren't Arabic. And also for Muslim people, Allah is a, the, the personal name for God. Where when we Christians refer to God, we don't say that's his personal name. We know his personal name is Yahweh, but we refer to him as God. In, in Islam, Allah is the personal name for God. So when you're talking about Allah, people define that different ways. You just have to know that. So belief in Allah, belief in angels, belief in the prophets, including Moses, Abraham, you know, including Jesus even. But Muhammad is the last and greatest prophet. That's what Muhammad taught. And then also belief in the revelations of Allah. And, and although they accept the Bible, the Old Testament, and especially the first five books, and then the New Testament, especially the gospel, they'll say that's been corrupted. The Bible's been corrupted. And you'll say, well, what's the uncorrupted version? They say, well, we don't have an uncorrupted version. Just to let you know the Bible's corrupted. That's why Muhammad had to come up with the Quran. They believe in a last day of judgment, that everybody will be resurrected and face judgment based on their works, and they believe in Allah's sovereignty. Muhammad denies 
God's triune nature, denies the divinity of Christ, denies salvation is through grace, teaching that it's only through works. And what I'm here to tell you publicly is that Muhammad is a false prophet and Allah is a false God based on that teaching. So you just, yeah. Not something you're going to hear a lot of, by the way, uh, on our media and stuff like that. But that brings us to something else that Islam teaches a different gospel. See, what it takes to be right with God in Islam are the five pillars. Practicing these five core things that you do, and that earns you favor with God or balances out your sin. One, reciting this, basically in English, would say, no God but Allah, Muhammad's his prophet. That you recite that. And that's how people convert, by the way. If you just recite that, you can convert to Islam and not be killed sometimes. Prayer that you recite a certain that you recite prayers five times a day, and we've all seen pictures of Muslims doing that. That's a second. Giving. Fasting during the month of Ramadan. They don't fast the whole month. They just don't eat during the daylight hours of the month of Ramadan, meaning they have a big breakfast right before sunrise and then a, a, a meal after sunset. That's their fasting of Ramadan. And then also a, pilgr- a pilgrimage to Mecca, uh, which is the last town that Muhammad conquered when he showed up with an army of of 10,000 and and the city just kind of capitulated to him and and became Muslim. Is Islam tolerant of other religions? No. There's no country in the world with an Islamic majority that a Christian has freedom to preach the gospel. There's There's no Muslim country in the world, no country that has a majority Muslim population where there is freedom of religion, then what about all the the violence and stuff? Well, the Quran teaches that to be a good Muslim, you fight people who are not Muslim and either kill them or get them to convert or get them to submit. This is not defensive fighting. This is you take the fight to them. That's what Muhammad did. That's what their founder did. And that's what Islam people are supposed to do. Now, I'm not saying that all Muslims strap on bombs to kill people. But I'm telling you there's a reason that most people who strap on bombs to kill people, an overwhelming majority of them are Muslim. Because it's a theological issue. You see, the problem in Islam is as you do these five things, Islam recognizes that we as people are sinful. And so doing these five things kind of balances, but you don't know where you stand. You never know. The the question that every Muslim has is, how do I know that I've done enough? Have I done enough? And they cannot know that. And so they cannot know whether they will go into heaven or be cast into hell. But one of the surest ways to get into heaven is die, is to die while you're fighting or killing non-Muslims. Because it's then, as a reward for fighting, you can go to heaven. You, you will go to heaven. 
and have the 70 virgin wives and, and all this stuff. That's in Surah 3, 157. And even though the Muslims that we see, what we call radical Muslims, are predominantly made up of Shiite Muslims, which is 10% of Islam, although there's a whole bunch of sects of Sunnis and Shiites, that most of the people blowing people up belong to that 10%. Here's what you'll notice about Islam. The other 90% never rises up in disgust about that. Why? Because of their theology. They believe that's what Muhammad did, killed non-Muslims or forced them to convert. So that's what they're found. So even though the Sunni Muslims typically don't do as much of that, they still look at the Shiite Muslims, who they would say believe different. They still see them as heroes. Why? Because they're doing what Muhammad taught us to do, which is to kill non-Muslims. Theology issue. Allah's mercy, and sometimes they'll use that, is admittedly, Muslims will tell you, based on your works, how well you've kept the five pillars. And so you always have the question, is it enough, as I mentioned? And I got to tell you, that's a good question. Because all these false religions, if they have a high view of God, then, and, they, and God has a high standard, and he has to if you have a high view of God, then it's always, well, what about when we don't measure up? Because we don't. If God has a high standard, we get we're sinners. Well, how do we measure up? How do we know it's enough? Is it enough? They're always asking, is it enough? Is it enough? Is it enough? God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to earth to answer the question, is it enough? No. There's no works that are good enough. There's nothing we can do to earn salvation. Good works do not erase our sin. Good works are what we're supposed to do, so that has no merit to take away what we're not supposed to do. It doesn't cover our sin. That's the ministry of Jesus Christ, to teach Muslims and us and everyone else, is, is what I do enough? No. No, it's not. Matthew 5 48, in, in Jesus' greatest sermon, by the way, a sermon that Muslims would say that Jesus taught, he says, therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The whole Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' first, most famous sermon, is all about we aren't good enough to earn heaven in any way. Here's the standard, perfection, because our Father is perfect. It was the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. You see, people in religious systems are trapped by that. If God is good, if he is perfect, and I'm sinning, there's a rub there. But Jesus came, lived a perfect, sinless life, and because of that was the only person qualified to die for our sins, to take, make payment for our personal sins, and that's exactly what he did on the cross of Calvary. Jesus met God's perfect standards. He did, was the only one that should not have died, and he died for us. Early in Jesus' ministry, in Mark 1.15, he says, The time is fulfilled, 
and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. What's the gospel? It's this news that Jesus has paid for our, our sins. The news, the sacrificial system is over. It all pointed to the perfect sacrifice that was to come. All the lineage of the Old Testament, all pointing to Jesus. The sacrificial system, all pointing to Jesus. And now it's taken care of. Repent and believe in the gospel. It doesn't mean stop sinning and believe that God exists. And I think a lot of Christians think maybe that's what this means. Repent and believe the gospel does not mean stop sinning and believe that God exists. Repent and believe the gospel means stop trying to earn God's favor with your actions. Stop thinking that you're probably good enough to be okay with God. You're not. Turn from the way you're living like that, that your life might be pleasing to God, to him and realize that it's only Christ's death, the good news, his death and resurrection that can possibly save us. That's the gospel. That's the true gospel. That's the only gospel. There's, if there's no Jesus, who is the son of God, then there's no answer for sin, no provision for sin. It's really simple. As Christians, we follow God as he has revealed himself through the Bible, Old Testament and New, through the prophets and ultimately through his son, Jesus Christ. You want to know God? Get to know Jesus And we're realizing that God is perfect and he is righteous. And because of that, his standard is perfect and his standard is righteous, which is bad news for all of us because we've all violated God's standard. All of us, Christian, Muslim alike, we've all violated God's standard. But because God not only created us, but he loves us. He made a way, one way, through Jesus Christ alone. And Jesus came to live a perfect life, like I mentioned, but also voluntarily gave his life to pay for our sins. But we don't get that automatically. The way we get salvation, the way we get righteousness is through faith. Just like Abraham, and he believed God, and it was credited to him. He didn't earn it. It was just credited to him as righteousness. And it's the same with us today. We have to come to a point in our life where we repent, turn away from our way of living, and believe and trust in the gospel, what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And my fear is that today people will be sitting here, you see, it's not just understanding the gospel that makes you a Christian. It's not intellectually believing that Jesus was the son of God or even the resurrection, which we can historically show a lot of evidence and proof for that outside of Christian sources. See, that's not it. To be made right with God is to orient our life toward him Realizing that we're sinners, Jesus isn't, and he died to make a sacrifice for our sins. And the way we get that free gift, what we call grace, 
is by placing our belief, our trust, our faith in Christ alone. And the question is, have you come to a point in your life where you've done that? If you have, you'll notice that your life will begin to change from the inside out. And you'll start behaving differently, not to earn your salvation. Salvation's already, already given to you. You'll do that just in response to God's love. I'd like us to all bow our heads, and I don't want to close without just giving an opportunity that if you're here and you're not 100% sure that you've come to this point in your life where you've trusted in Jesus and Jesus alone, minus nothing, I mean, nothing else, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's not about you living a good life. It's all about what Jesus has done. Now, if you don't know if you've done that, I want to invite you to place your faith, your trust in Jesus. And you can do that, Scripture tells us in Romans 10, by calling out to God. And here, here's, here's the way you can make your prayer. And so God knows everything. He knows everything you're thinking, so you can pray silently. And if you're ready to place your faith, your trust, your belief in Jesus and Jesus alone, you're for your salvation, and you're not sure you've ever done that before, not sure you've ever done that before, then follow me in this prayer. Make this prayer your prayer. Put it in your own words. However, just pray this to God right now. Father in heaven, I thank you for loving me, and Lord, I admit my sin, and I know there's nothing I can do to make up for that. So Father, I thank you so much that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life without sin, but still voluntarily gave up his life to pay for my sins. God, I thank you for that greatest gift. And God, I'm placing my faith, my, my trust in Jesus and what he did alone. Realizing I'm, I'm not helping in any way with that. And God, I invite you to come into my life and help me to live it in a way that pleases you, not to earn salvation. Salvation's a gift just to love you back. In Christ's name, amen. I'd like our heads to be, still be bowed. I'm just going to ask, just so that we can pray for you, just so that you can kind of make a little bit of a, just between you and me, just say, yeah, Kevin, I did that. If you're, if you're new here, I promise I'm not going to call you down or embarrass you. But while our heads are bowed and no one's looking around, I'd like you to make eye contact with me if you prayed that prayer, and as far as you know, it's the first time you've ever prayed that prayer, just pop your hand up. And starting over here on the Smith Road side, this section, if you prayed that prayer this morning, if you just lift your hand. That's all I'm going to ask you to do. Just make eye contact, kind of signal me, put your hand back down. That's it. So I can pray for you. Right now, put it up. Back down. How about this middle section towards Smith Road? Raise your hand. Thank you. I see you right there. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Back there. And then right back down. Thank you. And then this section here uh, by the soundboard. I see you right back there. Thank you, sir. Saying, yeah, I prayed that prayer. I I'm, I'm placing my faith, my trust in Jesus alone for my salvation. If you prayed that, just put them up, put it up, and then right back down. And then over on this side, I see you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Over here, I see you back there. I just pop it up, pop it back down.
pray together. Father, we thank you for these who raised their hand. And Lord, we don't want to manipulate them or, or violate their privacy in any way. Lord, if they need to talk to somebody, Lord, we're available in, in room one, and we pray that you'd help them to have the courage to come and talk if that's what they need. Lord, give them the courage to tell somebody, somebody they know or somebody who's a believer in their life that they made this decision. And God, we thank you for everybody here, especially those who turn their hearts towards you. Thank you, Lord, in Christ's name. Like our heads bowed, just one more, I've got one more question for you. It's a broader question. Scripture tells us as believers, one of the things that we do is we follow God and believers' baptism. And I know in this room there's probably a lot of people who have come to Christ, but since coming to Christ have not been baptized as a believer. By the way, baptism does not get you heaven. It does not earn you anything with God. It's just what we should do. It's what God told us to do, just an obedience thing. But right now, all across the auditorium, if, if you've become a believer and since then have not been baptized, and I'm talking about baptism by immersion like we have in the New Testament, I'd like you to just kind of raise your hand. With everybody's head bowed, just say, yeah, I fall into that category. I'm not going to make you do anything. Just, yeah, I've become a believer, and since that time have not been baptized. You know, we have a few hands all over the room. just want to tell you something. You can put them down. Uh, we have baptism scheduled coming up, outdoor baptism in, in a few weeks, and you can mark that on a card. We just want to help you be obedient to God. So we just want to make that you aware of that. You can fill it out on a card. You can grab one of the card cards from the chair in front of you now that the offerings already happen and just mark it and drop it off at the info table or wait till next week and mark it. And that's just saying, hey, I'm interested. I want some information. We'll contact you and give you the information you need. Hey, thanks for being here. Let's stand together. Next week, let me just tell you something. Next week, I was going to talk about Scientology, but I realize there's a lot bigger issue that I think we need to unsnarl a little bit, and it's regarding Catholicism. And so next Sunday, we're talking about what are the differences between what we call biblical Christianity and Roman Catholicism. So that's the topic for next Sunday. Hope to see you then. Have a great day. You're dismissed.